Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard, brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's all caps, B L E A V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. And where I'm starting today, is on Daniel Jones and his agent change. I think it's important, not only in the NFL landscape, but in the Giants landscape, to dig into what happened, why it happened, and where we go from here. Jordan Ronan from ESPN was the one who reported, broke the news, that Daniel Jones was leaving creative artist agency CAA and moving to Athletes First ahead of his negotiations with the Giants. Great report. Great job by Jordan. After that report came out, though, I felt like a lot of the reaction to it publicly through the media, from fans on on social media, and a lot of the articles that were written, there was a lot of conjecture. There was a lot of speculation. And that's natural and can happen when people can't get to the information. And sometimes that happens. But I felt like I owed it to Giants fans, to NFL fans, and to myself, frankly, to answer some of the questions that I had before I spoke on it or wrote about it. Now, you may have seen I published a story in the New York Daily News this week, trying to get to the bottom as best I could of the details and the multi-layered elements of this situation. But I felt like it was important to also get into it and dig into it on an audio and visual level so that people could fully understand where I'm coming from, the context of this information, and the fact that really in situations like this, it's easy for people on the outside to look at what a player wants to make or what a team wants to pay or what people's value is or what people believe their value is and to make snap judgments. But there is is a lot more to a decision like this by a player and to a situation like this for a team, and not just a player, but let's face it, the franchise quarterback, a player who plays the most important position in this sport, maybe in all of sports, and this is big money and franchise-defining decision-making on deck for Joe Shane, the general manager of the Giants, and for Daniel Jones and his agents. So let's get into some of the, uh, some of the elements of this decision and where it is. Number one thing I thought was important to note after I did some reporting and made some phone calls, this was not a case of Daniel Jones ripping up an ongoing negotiation that he did not approve of and dumping his old agency and changing to a new one. This was not a case of offers being exchanged and Daniel Jones saying, CAA isn't isn't asking for enough from the Giants. And I don't like how this, these negotiations have gone over the last month. That's not what happened here. The negotiations were delayed. And as of the beginning of this week, when he changed agencies, there had been no official negotiations at all 
between anyone representing Daniel Jones and the Giants. Now that's a fact. So when you think about the motivation for it and the fact that more information came out later about numbers and specific numbers that were being asked for, you think to yourself, where is that coming from? Because there hasn't actually been a negotiation yet. But that's important to understand here. We're in the early stages of Daniel Jones Giants negotiations, not in the middle of a negotiation that went south. Number two, which I just alluded to, is Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk reacted to this, did some reporting, and wrote that Daniel Jones, I want to get this right, wants possibly as much as $45 million per year. Now, something to understand is everybody in the NFL world and NFL fans, they talk about the NFL Combine, which is upcoming in Indianapolis, and think of the NFL Combine as the time when free agent conversations start, as well as this draft talk and all of that. And this is when the gossip starts. Back channel conversations and real groundwork being laid on free agent negotiations, that's that's happening and starting at the Senior Bowl, if not earlier. So when I looked at that and I said $45 million, I wonder if that's true and where did it come from? So as a reporter, it's my job not to react and say, Daniel Jones wants $45 million a year. Because first of all, Florio did not report directly he wants 45. He said he possibly wants as much as 45. And secondly, it's just it's just it just is only fair to the player to get to the bottom of where that number's coming from. Now, back channel conversations happen, like I said, even if official negotiations haven't started. And so were numbers discussed on Daniel Jones's side internally with the Giants? Of course, that's natural. Those things happen. So I'm sure Daniel Jones was having conversations even, you know, even during the season or right after the season with his previous representation about, oh, what do you think my value looks like? And I'm sure the Giants were having internal conversations about where do you think this fits? We know the franchise tag is 32.4. What do we think Daniel's value is based on his performance, his success here, his failure there? So wouldn't shock me if conversations about where the value might land gets to Daniel Jones and he doesn't like the tenor or the tone of where he feels the compromise might end up. Also natural to react to the public conversation and dialogue about where Daniel Jones fits in, you know, top 10, top 15, top 20 quarterbacks and what that means his value is. But I will say this. The bottom line of Mike Florio's report on the $45 million is that Daniel Jones's agent change was connected to the idea that the number he believes he will get and is and is owed is higher than the number that he thought he could get with his previous representation or or higher than the number he thinks he was headed towards. And that seems to be accurate, you know, and again, I did not want to react to, well, this looks like a change to make more money until I had conversations with enough people in the node to understand whether that was the case, because that's not always the case. And frankly, Daniel Jones severing ties with CIA is, uh, was surprising to a lot of people in the league. And so, you know, 
there's a lot of people reaching out to people like me and others wondering what happened because it was surprising to them. You know, uh, Daniel Jones, a loyal person, um, somebody who did, does not did not profile to people as somebody who would, you know, be with one agency through thick and thin for four years, um, an agency that was believing in him when nobody did, who then kind of out of nowhere, publicly anyway, moving to a different agency that has done big quarterback contracts, but not necessarily to the agents who have done those contracts as the primaries, um, though Athletes First obviously has done great work for players and the team he joins of Brian Murphy, Cameron Hahn, and Andrew Kessler uh, experienced um, a lot of experience there with contracts, with big money contracts. And um, and of course, he joins, a, a, it goes from one good team to another. But uh, just an interesting thing in the league that I would characterize the reaction inside the league to this move as surprise. So that's something to to just keep in mind as we're here, as Daniel Jones and the Giants begin these conversations. Now, what is Daniel Jones asking for? If it's not $45 million exactly, or if we don't know that definitively, what is it? Well, being in this a while now and having enough conversations with people about quarterback contracts every year, including this year, I think that $40 million is a little bit of a magic number here, a threshold for the quarterback market and for Daniel Jones. And the reason I say that is because there are eight quarterbacks, as I talk to you right now, who make an average of $40 million a year. And once Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert sign their deals this offseason, that will be 10 quarterbacks, 40 million or more. And if Lamar Jackson gets a long-term deal done, that will be 11. All of that is to say, you know, when I talked to several former GMs in January, and one of them was the most definitive about, you know, and he's he's plugged into the league and was definitive about he believed that after winning that game against Minnesota, that Daniel's contract was going to come in between $35 million and $38 million a year. And I think, you know, knowing how the Giants want to build a roster, knowing where the franchise tag lies, knowing what maybe his Daniel Jones's high ceiling and low floor comps are, um, you know, the Ryan Tannehill's on the lower end, um, I guess you could say uh, Derek Carr obviously isn't on that contract anymore, but he was in that four, he was at that forty million dollars, and so could you compare Daniel Jones to Derek Carr? You know, high end, low end, and then the other thing to consider is from a salary cap perspective. Not to get too much into the weeds, but if Daniel Jones hypothetically were franchise tagged two straight years in twenty three and twenty four, the total value averaged out comes out to I believe it's thirty seven million and change like 37.4, 37.5, somewhere around there. And so those numbers make sense from the standpoint of you don't think he's a top five quarterback, but you think he's on that top 10 fringe, 11, 12, right around there, which I don't think is unfair. But the $40 million then, if you're Daniel Jones, you're taking, let's say you take $38 million a year you are automatically making yourself telling the world that you agree you are no better than about a top 15 quarterback because the the salary cap is expected to skyrocket 
And so not only will there be deals coming in this offseason that beat that, but then you look one year down the road and you think about how dramatic of a discount in Daniel Jones's eyes, maybe somewhere between 35 and $38 million a year is compared to what he believes not only his value is now, but what it will be not far into the future. And so I think that when Mike Florio reports Daniel Jones wants possibly as much as up to 45, what I hear, and then having conversations with people in the league and understanding um, how this works with quarterbacks and where the contracts are and how these negotiations have happened with various players around the league and now where Jones stands, what I hear and what I believe is that what Jones thinks he can get and wants to get is over that $40 million number. So up to 45, it's like if you've ever bought a house, right? You're going to, um, you know, they might, the sellers might ask for way more money than they expect to get. And you might come in at a much lower number than the listed number and the number that you have a feeling they want to get to. But that is how you end up compromising at a value that works for both sides and you get to move in. And so $45 million, when I hear $45 million, obviously the natural reaction is, well, then he's not going to be a giant (laughs) unless he's on the franchise tag. But that's kind of the question now. And again, I want to reiterate this. Now we've had we've had a few days here since the news came out since the agent change happened but the Giants and the Daniel Jones camp are on the we're on the verge of and are on the verge of and at the just at the beginning and the infancy stages of starting these negotiations. So the Giants need to hear Daniel Jones and Athletes First opening number and Daniel Jones and Athletes First need to hear Joe Shane and the Giants opening number before we can definitively say there is a huge gap between the sides rather than speculating that because there is a report that a number could get to a certain level that there already exists that gap. So what I'm saying is, could Jones be asking for an unreasonable number that's going to create some friction and maybe lead to a failure to compromise? Possibly. But I'm not hitting the alarm bells just yet, pressing the, you know, the ejector seat button right now, because I think what's instructive now is getting to a point where we know how far the gap is. There's definitely a gap now based on what has happened. There is a gap, but you expect there to be one at the start of any negotiation like this. So I'm not overreacting, but it's not nothing if that makes sense. And again, this is coming this is an informed opinion. This is not me reacting 5 minutes after the news comes out. Okay, so that gets us to this. The Giants want to sign Daniel Jones to a long-term deal. That's what they want, you know. Um a 5-year deal would be great for the team and a multi-year deal just in and of itself is preferable to Joe Shane and the Giants because they can spread out cap space and they can lower the 2023, this year, cap hit for Daniel Jones. And that's why they want a multi-year deal for Saquon Barkley if they resign him. You know, they want to be able to spread it out. And not they don't want to be in the same position three years from now that they were this year, where they have all this extra money 
and no cap space and they can't get out from under the contracts. They don't want to repeat that mistake of deferring everything, but they're trying to build this smartly, both for the here and for the long term. But Joe Shane really is looking at all of this with an eye on building a team for the future. So if you t- franchise tag Daniel Jones, you it's a one-year contract and it's a $32.4 million deal for one season. And so that means the second you pl- place the franchise tag on Daniel Jones, and again, from now till March 7th is the time frame when the Giants have to decide whether they use a franchise tag on Daniel Jones, on Saquon Barkley or not at all. So if the Giants franchise tag Daniel Jones, the minute they announce they're placing a tag on him, the minute they announce that, $32.4 million go on the Giants cap, even though it's not locked in for the 2023 season. Because the NFL and the NFLPA treat it as you have allocated the money to that player in the for the time being. So the Giants would severely hamper their ability to sign other players and spend money elsewhere if they even just have Daniel Jones on the tag as a placeholder. So what they want from Daniel Jones is a compromise on the long-term deal so that they can operate and go make other signings and build a team up around him. So Jones has the franchise tag as leverage in that respect. Now, the franchise tag could always hurt Daniel Jones though in this sense. If the team and Jones can't compromise and they they get to a point where they know we're just not going to be on the same page, okay? Now this I'm looking down the road here, okay? But if they got to that point and they and both teams threw up their hands, the Giants and athletes first threw up their hands and they said, "You know what? We're we're never going to get to a to a common no, number, common ground." Now what happens is the franchise tag can hurt Daniel Jones in the sense that the Giants are now looking at it like, "Well, now we can't build the team we wanted to for 2023. So now where do you go from there? And a tag and trade is always possible, not just for Daniel Jones, but also for Saquon Barkley if he ends up getting franchise tagged instead. Because a franchise tag, you put it on the player and it retains their rights temporarily. But until that is signed and locked in, the team can pull it all the way up until I believe it's mid-July for a a different deal. So you can franchise tag Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley in early March, and then you could negotiate and agree to a long-term deal on July 1st that replaces that franchise tag. The problem again is when you tag the player even temporarily, it allocates the money for that time and you can't use it elsewhere, which is why that happens, but is, you know, teams don't want that. That's, that is, um, not what the Giants would prefer. So when you tag a player, though, you retain their rights. So if they can't compromise with Daniel Jones's team, or if they tag Saquon Barkley and they can't compromise with his team, a tag and trade is always possible. And you have to think about this this way too. Before this season, the plan looked like and was new GM, new coach come in, they declined Daniel Jones' fifth-year option with Jones noticed. He did not appreciate. And, and listen, the plan was one year of Daniel Jones. The Giants probably weren't going to be very good. They were probably going to have a pretty high draft pick. They were going to move on. They had Tyrod Taylor on a two-year deal, so he would be back in 23. And then they walk into the 2023 NFL draft this coming April, probably looking to draft a quarterback. So that's what it looked like. 
And so if you fans and everybody can rewind to my early training camp story about Daniel Jones being under the gun, under pressure to perform, how he'd had a bad first week. And if he didn't turn it around, his, he would lose his job sooner rather than later. Garoppolo's name came up. Tyrod Taylor's name came up already in camp playing well. The reason was because, as you can see from Daniel Jones' behavior, he knew that he was being doubted in his own building. He knew that the expectations were low of him in his own building. So now we're here and everybody sees that everything's not, um, you know, roses and sunshine. So not to pound my chest too much, but just like the Kadarius Tony report last year, I took all that crap for in the spring. Now I have the Daniel Jones report in August. I took all that crap for when it comes up six months from now, everyone acts like they always knew about it. Well, I have receipts on on Twitter that say otherwise. So ask you to respect the amount of uh, diligent work that we put in on this beat and on the NFL beat to bring to you what is happening behind the scenes, not what we think is happening, what is happening. Now, if Daniel Jones were part of a tag and trade, that could be connected to the Giants charging up to try to draft a quarterback. Again, this is the worst case scenario if these negotiations don't go well and the Giants have to tag Daniel and they realize no compromise is coming. Then they do have a deep pick in the first round, 25th overall. But remember, Joe Shane was in Brandon Bean's front office that traded up twice to get all the way up to, I believe, from 21 to 12 to 7 in order to take Josh Allen in 2018. Not an impossible thing. The Giants have nine picks. And so you have to look at that and say, is that possible? Is that conceivable? And you have to remember that that was the plan and the more likely scenario if we go back nine months before now, 10 months before now. That's how it looked like this was going to play out. You know, And then you have quarterbacks up at the top Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis. I think Levis is a name to watch and a name and a player I will be um, keeping an eye on at the NFL Combine. Now, there are creative ways for teams and players to get to a certain number. So when Mike Florio reported $45 million uh, as the number that Daniel Jones might want up to, you can give a player a contract that averages him at $41 million a year and then give him incentives that allow him to earn up to 45 Or maybe the Giants will try to give Daniel Jones a deal that averages between 35 and $38 million a year, but still give him incentives that get him over 40 to 43 44 But will Daniel Jones want that? Will Daniel Jones want a straight deal? Uh, something that looks more closer to Deshaun Watson's first contract with the Houston Texans, Dak Prescott's with the Cowboys, Matt Stafford's with the Rams, Aaron Rodgers with the Packers. The first three quarterbacks I just listed were almost exactly straight, like four for $160 million deals. I think Dak had about $4 million in bonuses added on to that, where he could earn up to one hundred sixty-four or something like that. Uh, three of those four deals were athletes first. Uh, Stafford was CAA, um, but Josh Allen was is CAA, and so same agency, same agents as Daniel Jones, and Josh Allen got a deal in Buffalo 
that paid him. It was a six-year, $258 million extension um, uh, what, a year ago, I think it was, in August 2021. And it also included $30 million of incentives that allowed him to earn up to $288 million. Now, the difference there is his base contract allows him to average $45 million a year. The incentives allow him to earn up to, so so the 40, I, sorry about that, got my numbers crossed up there. The base contract allows Josh Allen to make $43 million per year. The bonuses allow him to make up to $48 million a year. So that is an example of a compromise where, again, a front office that Joe Shane was a part of, Brandon Bean, Joe Shane, and the Buffalo Bills negotiated with CAA and Josh Allen to say, we'll get you to 43, and there's money in here that'll get you to 48. Now, agencies don't love deals like that. They want the money. The player wants the money. Um, Every negotiation is different. Josh Allen was involved in making that deal close and happen. Um, you know, that $30 million in bonuses is not guaranteed money in any stretch of the imagination. It is $1 million bonus if he wins the AFC championship and plays 60% of the regular season snaps, an annual $2.5 million bonus if he wins the Super Bowl and plays 60% of the regular season snaps, and an annual $1.5 million bonus if he wins NFL MVP. So a lot of that money is never coming to you. So you don't want to take that deal if you would rather not accept the possibility of getting to a number. You want to see it cold on paper, it's going to happen. Now, something to always keep in mind too, even though I'm using these average annual salaries because it is the it is a benchmark that people use and it is an easier way to think about it. Uh, but the guaranteed money is what matters most in these contracts. And so always remember, you know, Daniel Jones... Deshaun Watson getting 230 million fully guaranteed contract. Owners are trying not to make that a precedent for negotiations, but that is certainly um, emboldened players. And you don't want to necessarily look at the amount of average money theoretically is in the contract, but you want to look at the guaranteed money that is in the contract. Kyler Murray got a lot of guaranteed money in his new deal. Is Daniel Jones as good as Kyler Murray? Um, is he as talented? Is he as productive? He's won a playoff game. Where do you see him? Do you see him closer to Ryan Tannehill, who's closer in the $30 million range, but on a, an older contract? Do you see or him closer to Kyler Murray, who is, I believe, at $46 million? If you don't see him at Kyler Murray's level, what is your argument um, if you're the Giants that uh, he doesn't deserve anything close to the money Kyler Murray is making? So there's a lot about this that's it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And when you look at an agent's perspective, you look at teams like the Browns and the Cardinals, who I think we can all agree, both of those teams, in my opinion, made huge mistakes with the contracts they gave out. But that doesn't mean they can't be used because they are in the market and helping to set and reset the market. And so those are just the realities. One point I wanted to make in general, too. I know people get tired of comps and you know I think you get tired of comps because it's annoying when like a, a running back can cut well and somebody says he's like Barry Sanders, right? 
Um, people get a little bit carried away with it, comparing people to all-time greats. But you should understand something about how this business works. Like this is not rocket science. Agents and general managers and teams use player comparisons at the core and at the heart of their arguments about what a player's value is. It is the most objective form of conversation about what a player can be worth theoretically. Because you have stats, you have production levels, you have uh, glaring maybe shortcomings, you have the ability to, instead of projecting things or knocking somebody down for something abstract, and you can keep it unemotional and just lay it out all on the table. And you also have comparable players at various production levels and ages is also an important thing, right? Like if a player has a similar position and production level, but one is 10 years younger, it's not reasonable to just directly compare those two players and contracts because you also have to factor in one player is younger and ascending versus another player is at a certain level, but descending. But I just want fans to understand that when media uses comparisons, yes, there is a little bit too much hyperbole in it, but this is how negotiations work. Those are part of the foundation for how these negotiations happen. Now, a few other points about this I found interesting making calls around the league. So one league source pointed out to me that for the Giants, this is a little bit of uncharted territory in the sense that uh, Kevin Abrams, their, their vice president there in the front office, he's a seasoned negotiator. Uh, Ed Triggs, also the director of football operations involved in this part of it for several years now as well. But between Eli Manning and Daniel Jones, the Giants have basically exclusively been a CAA team at the at the quarterback position for two decades. And so that's the common comfortable ground for the Giants. Now they've negotiated with athletes first. They have experience negotiating with athletes first, obviously. So it's not like the Giants and Kevin Abrams and Ed Triggs don't have that experience. It's not what I'm saying. It's just an an interesting nugget that um, from rookie contracts to extensions it's generally for a long time been New York Giants and CAA getting in a room and having those conversations. And now with Daniel Jones, that is not the case. So that is, that's worthwhile to point out. Another thing to point out is that um, several of Daniel Jones's close friends slash teammates are athletes first clients. Um, you know, Kyle Rudolph, the former uh, Giants tight end who was at the Bucks this past year, um, he is represented by Murphy and Han, two of the agents on Daniel Jones's new account. Uh, Sterling Shepard is represented by Athletes First, and David Sills also is an Athletes First guy. And interestingly enough, David Sills was at a previous agency, um, I believe Steinberg Sports, when he first came into the league for a couple years, two to three years. And then he left for athletes first. So again, you know, these guys are human. They have conversations, they talk. And I do think that's interesting, you know, just to point out that Daniel Jones's closest friend on the Giants um, left his agency for athletes first, I believe last year. And now Daniel Jones is leaving his agency for athletes first ahead of his contract negotiation. So um, not nothing. Not nothing. And 
I mentioned, of course, that people around the league were surprised. Um, you know, nobody believed in Daniel Jones 18 months ago outside of his family members and his agents, really. So interesting that he's made this change. Um, they did not negotiate with Daniel Jones's agents at the bye week over a contract extension. The Giants did talk to Julian Love's representatives, to Saquon Barkley's representatives. They did not talk to Daniel Jones's. Uh, I do not believe that the absence of talks there was like the reason why Daniel Jones is making this change. Um, it is a factor though, that you have to throw into the pot of things that Daniel Jones was probably considering and looking at when he made this decision. But of course, again, I want to reiterate, this was not a decision that happened. This was not a snap decision. This was a decision that was in the works that I know that as of the senior bowl, Right. So we're going back several weeks here. As of the senior bowl, this was something that was in the works that Daniel Jones was in the process of working through and considering. And so this was not a last minute decision by Daniel Jones in any stretch of the imagination. So, like I said, the Giants do want to re sign Jones and, and, and Barkley both. Um, I think Barkley is. I, I sit here right now and I tell you, I am still confident. I'm still more confident than not that Daniel Jones is back with the Giants. Um, I'm not ready to rush and jump off the ledge and say, oh, he's asking for 45. is never going to happen. I'm not there. Um, but Saquon Barkley, I have a lot of questions about because I'm I'm not quite sure Joe Shane and the Giants are going to budge off their belief in positional value and how to build a team and how to build a roster um, in what to invest in the running back position. Frankly, I'm surprised. And I was surprised when I first heard that they offered Barkley between 12 and 12 and a half a year on a three-year deal. That surprised me. I mean, that's a lot of money for Joe Shane to give a running back. It just is. And, but that was on the table. And as of, you know, late January into February, there hadn't been any progress there on, uh, Saquon Barkley's ask, which was in uh, essentially commensurate with Christian McCaffrey in the $16 million range. Now, Jordan at ESPN reported that $14 million a year probably could get it done, according to uh, someone close to the negotiations. And I'm sure Saquon would love $14 million a year. Uh, but I have questions about whether Joe Shane would go there, serious questions about whether he would go there. And with the franchise tag being 10.1 million for running back, if the Giants don't have to use that franchise tag on Daniel Jones, then Saquon's really in a world of hurt because a tag and trade is very much in play there. I don't know if he would agree to play on the franchise tag anyway. Um, $10 million right there, you're committing $10 million to a running back for the year instead of, again, having a multi-year deal, deal where you can spread out the pain and spread out the hurt cap wise and leave yourself more room um, and more money to use in the short term to build the team. So I have more doubts about Saquon Barkley's future with the Giants than I do with Daniel Jones's. Uh, but this is an important development, an interesting development. And I hope that I was able to bring some clarity and um, some inf some extra information to you about what happened here 
with Daniel Jones changing agencies and the fact that there's still a lot more news to come because we're really just on the cusp of where this is going to go. Are the sides going to exchange numbers and is one of them going to step back and say, wow, we're even farther apart than I realized? Or is it going to be much less um, of an issue, much less of a situation where one side uh, feels um, wronged or blown away and it's just going to be a standard negotiation where they're both advocating for their positions and they reach a middle ground that we all saw coming from from the start. Um, $40 million though, that's an interesting, that would be a very interesting, um, if that is the floor that Daniel Jones and Athletes First has, be very interesting to see how this goes. And then from Saquon Barkley's perspective, frankly, I think the player needs to cave to the team based on what I understand. And again, that still means getting paid very well at the running back position. Um, so I'm not saying he should be taking nothing, but um, I do doubt whether or not the Giants will invest the kind of money that Barkley has to this point held firm on trying to achieve and obtain. Uh, but that will do it for this week's podcast. And I really want everybody to tune in next week. Early next week, we're going to post uh, a special NFL Combine Week podcast with the great Greg Cosell, the godfather of film at NFL Films, at ESPN, at the NFL Matchup Show. And we will get into the wide receiver class. We'll get into some quarterback talk. We'll get into the history of draft coverage. We'll do it all with Greg Cosell on a week where obviously eyes turn towards the draft. And then there's a lot happening in free agency as well that will come out of Indianapolis. And so please stay with me on Twitter, P Leonard, at P Leonard NYDN, on Instagram and TikTok, at PL on NFL, as well as on YouTube at PL on NFL. And as always, Please rate, review, and subscribe our podcast here on Talking Ball. Uh, we love what we've been able to build here with this community so far, and we're excited about what we can bring you in this offseason and into the 2023 year, both with our Giants coverage and our conversations about everything around the National Football League, league-wide, and stay tuned here for the latest news, information, and analysis. Thanks again for joining, and we'll talk to you next time on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.